Hello, and welcome to episode 47 of the Bible Q&A with Pastor Stephen. My name is Stephen Pace, and I'm the senior pastor at Decatur Bible Church in Decatur, Michigan. On this podcast, I attempt to answer Bible questions in a clear but thorough manner. If you have a Bible-related question that you would like me to consider for a future episode, you can email me your question to pastorstephendbc at gmail.com. Again, you can email me your question, and I'll consider looking at it in a future episode. You can email me again, pastorstevendbc at gmail.com. On this episode, we'll be looking at three Bible-related questions, so before we get started, grab your Bibles. Now, for our first question, I'm going to read the question to you. Pastor Stephen, what is meant by Paul's prison epistles? I know he was in prison several times, so I was not sure what this was referring to. Thank you. So again, the question is essentially asking, what is the meaning behind the phrase or terminology Paul's prison epistles? And it's asking that in light of the fact that Paul was in prison on numerous occasions. So in order to answer this question, uh, let me start off with the ending of the question, or the statement rather. Uh, The individual says, I know that Paul was in prison several times. So first off, the thing to remember with this question and the answer uh, is of course that Paul was in fact in prison on numerous occasions. Uh, It's debated on exactly how many, for instance, Roman imprisonments. But in general, what you're looking at is several times in which he was in prison, which is what the person asking the question states. So what is significant and what is meant by the term the prison epistles? Uh, Let's turn, if you have your Bibles, to Acts chapter 28 in verse 30. So again, that's Acts chapter 28 in verse 30. Of course, that's the next to the last verse in the book of Acts. And Paul, of course, there finally, in chapter 28, finally arrives in Rome. So the book of Acts, once it transitions out of the time period where we see so many of the ministries of Peter, we see the various missionary journeys of Paul, but when you reach the end of the book of Acts, Paul arrives finally in Rome, and at the end what we find is that Paul was kept under some type of what we call Praetorian guard. Uh, I tend to like liken it to a house arrest perhaps, not a one-to-one, but something similar to that. So we know that Paul was kept Uh, in and about near the Praetorian Guards, and he was there for two years. Uh, Let me just read the verse. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. So I mentioned that again. So you have Paul. Yes, he went on went on several missionary journeys. He eventually arrives in Rome. He's imprisoned, and here he's under some type of what I equate to almost house arrest. He's under Praetorian guard. He's there for two years, 
but he also here anticipates release. Uh, and we'll look at that in just a moment more specifically. Whereas, for instance, in 2 Timothy, the last letter that we have of Paul, Paul expects martyrdom. So I just mentioned that to state that Paul, yes, was in prison several times, but there are a group of letters or epistles that are called his prison epistles. So what are they? Well, the prison epistles are four letters that he wrote during a Roman imprisonment, and he wrote them all in one general period of time. In other words, one general period of his ministry. Typically, you're going to find it dated somewhere around 60, 61, 62 AD. And the four letters that he wrote are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those are what are referred to as Paul's prison epistles. Now, these are titles that are given to them, or if you want to say it this way, a category of those four letters. And those were written while Paul was in prison during a particular period of time in his life. And so one of the things you'll notice is even in those letters, Paul makes a similar reference to himself. So let me give you these four examples. So in Ephesians 3.1, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So there you see in Ephesians 3.1 he refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ. In Philippians 1.7, Paul says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are all partakers of grace with me. So you'll notice there, Philippians 1.7, he speaks of his present imprisonment. So Ephesians, Philippians, he's writing from prison. And in both cases, he anticipates release, again, in contrast to 2 Timothy. Now, the third prison epistle is, of course, Colossians. Colossians 4.10, Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. So there again, you see Paul speaking of his imprisonment. Uh, and there's other references in those three. And then finally, in the fourth and final one, Philemon verse 9 says, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So as the person who asked the question, Paul, yes, he has multiple imprisonments. But this particular Roman imprisonment, where he anticipates release, he writes four letters while he's there. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, and all of those are referred to as his prison epistles. And one of the things that's distinguishing about those four versus 2 Timothy is in 2 Timothy, Paul expects to be martyred. He does not expect release, whereas in the four prison epistles, he expects release. So let me give you an, an example of that. He, he's anticipating release, in other words. In Philemon verse 22, 
Of course, Philemon doesn't technically have a chapter. It's just one letter with, if you want to say, one chapter. It's very short. But in Philemon, verse 22, he says, At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Uh, the point being is that Paul is anticipating, hopeful, that he would be released. And in that case, regarding Philemon, uh, he's planning to visit upon release at some point in time. This, of course, is different than 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, he doesn't expect anything other than to be martyred, uh, which in fact he was. So hopefully that helps clarify that. So the prison epistles are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. They are given this title or category of Paul's letters because they're all written during a particular Roman imprisonment, somewhere thereabouts of 61 AD, plus or minus probably six to nine months. And Paul writes them there. There's a lot of similarities with the writing of the letters. For instance, Ephesians and Colossians, very, very similar style writing as well. So hopefully that helps clarify the reason for that. It's a way of classifying the letters. Uh, it's a way to help study letters. And in Paul's case, we can see what he was thinking, feeling during that time. Again, whereas in 2 Timothy, what we learn is a different aspect of Paul, which is he expects martyrdom. So hopefully that helps clarify that question on what those prison epistles, what that actually means. Now for our second question on this episode, uh, this is more of a trivia, if you will, type question. And the question is basically, in Moses' day, he was called the most blank of all the men on earth. So again, in the day of Moses, in other words, when Moses was alive, the Bible says he was the most something more than any other man on the face of the earth. So what is this characteristic or this trait of Moses that the Bible says made him more so than anyone else on earth? Well, in order to find the answer to that, we'll need to turn to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, if you're familiar with that, is where Aaron and Miriam are, if you will, murmuring among themselves, we might say. And there is this verse, it's Numbers 12, 3. It's a sort of parenthetical, it might even be bracketed. Uh, I'm reading from the New American Standard 95. And you see where it's bracketed off. Notice what it says in terms of Moses, it says, Now the man Moses was very humble more than any other man who was on the face of the earth. Now one of the interesting things about this is, of course, there is Mosaic authorship uh, in terms of the first five books of the Bible, uh, one of which obviously being Numbers. And someone may say, well, that's not very humble to describe yourself that way. Uh, I'm going to read this from the MacArthur Study Bible, and then we'll move on here. But uh, I think it's a helpful, uh, in case you have that thought. It says here, This statement is often cited as evidence that Moses could not have written the book of Numbers, for he would not have boasted in his own humility. However, 
the Holy Spirit certainly could inspire Moses to make an accurate statement about himself, probably against his own natural inclination. In this context, Moses was asserting there was nothing that he had done to provoke this attack, attack by Miriam and Aaron. And that's a good way to think of it as well. The Holy Spirit inspiring the authors, whether it be Moses or, as we looked at in the first question, Paul to accurately record things. Uh, and so Moses may have perhaps felt like you know, I don't really want to write this about myself, but it was an accurate description. Uh, and I think the MacArthur Study Bible sums it up well with, in light of the context, uh, a very probably broken individual with the experience that is going on there uh, in Numbers 12. So the answer, again, to the question is that Moses was very humble. He was more humble than anyone on the face of the earth at that time. Now for our last question on this episode, recently I was asked a question regarding that Jesus at his baptism, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, came like a dove. And a question came out of that and thought it would be helpful for us to look at, uh, before we close this episode, some of the symbols of the Holy Spirit. Uh, these are quite interesting. Uh, but help us to have a better understanding of the Holy Spirit's role, uh, it's His personality and such. But uh, if you have your Bibles, and you can see in Matthew 3.16, and there's the, uh, in the other recordings of this are in Mark 1.10 and Luke 3.22, but this is a familiar passage with the baptism of Jesus. And it says in Matthew 3.16, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lightning on him. Now, here, of course, when you read the verse, of course, this is Jesus' baptism here with John the Baptist. It says that the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of God, depending on your translation, it descended and came upon Jesus as a dove or like a dove. Uh, and so this is a symbol of the Holy Spirit is what it's typically referred to. So if we were studying pneumatology or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, one of the areas we would cover would be the symbols of the Holy Spirit, something that is representative of the Holy Spirit. And uh, with regards to the dove, of course a dove... Uh, is, of course, the Holy Spirit is the reference here. The Holy Spirit would be, of course, associated with certain things such as peace, gentleness, and love. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus there at his baptism. So the Spirit takes on that, if you will, symbol of a dove there. But there's also some other ones in the Scripture as well. That one's probably the more well-known. Uh, let me just touch on some of these uh, the next one we'll look at is water. The Holy Spirit, of course, is referred to as water in several passages uh, in the Old Testament. I'll give you these. We won't turn to these. Ezekiel 36, 25, and 27. So again, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 and 27. Now in the New Testament, 
You can see this in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. So that's John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. But if you do have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Titus. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Now, we recently covered uh, Titus in a Sunday morning spirit, uh, service and uh, a few right before Christmas. But in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So again, you have this idea of the Holy Spirit in terms of a symbol representative as water. And of course, as water, the Holy Spirit brings life, refreshment, fullness. You think of purity. And then, of course, the Scripture speaks of the Spirit being poured out. So that's the other way uh, and the reason why sometimes it's used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So a dove and then water there. Of course, you think of a water uh, pitcher or something, and you may pour it out. Or you have a drink in your cup and you pour out something out of it. The next one is fire. Uh, the Holy Spirit sometimes is referenced um, the Holy Spirit that way as a symbol of, by fire. Uh, we won't turn to these passages, but Ma Matthew 3:11, Luke 3:16, and then Acts 2:3. Fire typically is a portrayal or pictures the presence of God. Uh, you see this in Exodus chapter 3, um, the protection of God, Exodus 13, 21. And of course, there is the negative aspect, the purging judgment of God. We see that in Hebrews 12, 29. So the Holy Spirit sometimes, in terms of how we describe it or there's symbols of it, a dove, water, fire, wind is another one. Uh, you're probably familiar with John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, and uh, there where Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, the wind blows, the Holy Spirit blows, if you will, it moves. Uh, we see this also in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, and so sometimes uh, we see that the Holy Spirit has this description of wind, movement, if you will. Another one would be oil. You think of the Holy Spirit sometimes in terms of oil and uh, anointing or healing blessings. Uh, we see various places in the scripture where the Holy Spirit is referred to as oil. Uh, I think of 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1, Isaiah 61 verse 1. Sometimes in terms of blessing, we think of, of course, Psalm 23 verse 5. And, of course, the Holy Spirit there uh, is revealed there as oil. So when we think of symbols of the Holy Spirit, things that are representative or help us understand Him better, you have the dove, water, fire, wind, oil. Uh, the last one I'm going to mention here is a one to consider as we close, that the Holy Spirit is sometimes seen in terms of a symbol as a seal. The Holy Spirit, like I said, is sometimes seen as a seal. It is a seal on the believer, for instance, until the day of redemption. We see this in Ephesians 
when we come to faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. But unlike the Old Testament where the Spirit would come upon or leave, you think of Samson, that's usually the one that I think is a good way to think of it. The difference in the New Testament, though, is when we come to faith in Christ, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but it's a permanent sealing. There's no coming upon and leaving a person. It seals us, as I told you, if you think of a symbol, until the day of redemption. So we know we're a child of God until that final day of redemption uh, as we enter into, if you will, in brevity into eternity. So hopefully that'll help you uh, in terms of some of the symbols when you read the scripture and it describes the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, it describes it in various ways, whether it be a dove, fire, or the seal until the day of redemption that believers have permanently until that day. Well, this concludes episode 47. Thank you for taking time to listen. And again, if you have any questions that you'd like considered, please feel free to email me those. Until then, until next time, God bless.